Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We're back again, and we have as our guest Mike John, uh, Mark Johnson. I changed his name. Uh, and he is, the, of course, the North Carolina Superintendent of Public Instruction, having been elected to that uh, position in 2016. And we're going to be talking about something that seems to be on the minds of almost everyone in North Carolina, and that's the matter of public education. And, Mark, you know, one of the things that's interesting about your job is you've got about 8 million bosses. <laughs> That's I mean, right. almost 8 million. There's 10 million people in North Carolina. I'd say a good 8 million of them have really pretty good ideas about how they would run the school system. <laughs> so uh, that must be challenging. A- absolutely. And and that is why, uh, you know, we are one of uh, only a handful of states that elects our state superintendent. Uh, only about a third of the states in the United States of America elect a state superintendent. Other states have uh, setups where you have it appointed by a governor or appointed by a state board of education. And one of the benefits, there are, there are drawbacks, but one of the benefits is that I had to go out and campaign for this office. I made it very clear what my priorities are, what change I wanted to bring to this office and education, uh, and people had the opportunity to respond to that and send me here to do it. Well, and you mentioned the State Board of Education. There is one. How, how's the relationship? Because a lot of people have been foggy on this, and I'm one of them of how the, the relationship is between the uh, the elected state superintendent of public instruction and the state board of education, which is appointed. Yes, and it, it is a foggy relationship. That is the best way to describe it, because we still are figuring out what our Constitution is supposed to mean. Uh, I think our Constitution was uh, left intentionally vague uh, in order to <laughs> have everyone just kind of try to figure this out. Uh, so basically the way it's set up, we have obviously an elected governor. We have an elected general assembly. Uh, we have an elected state superintendent of public instruction, and we have a state board of education, and the state board of education, most of the members are appointed by the governor and then confirmed by the state senate. Uh, there are also two other members, the state treasurer and the lieutenant governor, who are elected by the people. The state board of education and the state superintendent both have a role to play in the in the management of our K-12 public education system. What we have uh, been trying to figure out for decades is how much of a role does each play. So this is this has been going on for for many many years. Uh, we are now at a point where the state board of education makes the high level policies for our K-12 schools, such as. Uh, the state standards. Uh, there's a lot of controversy around Common Core. Uh, that is in the ballpark of the State Board of Education. They they look at the standards. They vote as a group to approve the standards. I, as the elected state superintendent, manage the actual education bureaucracy in Raleigh, the State Department of Public Instruction, and I manage the day-to-day of actually implementing those policies. And you're dealing with, uh, what, about 120 school districts? Yes, almost. We're up to 116 now. 116, and there's, what, over 2,500 schools? Mm -hmm, Roughly that, and over 1.5 million students. Well, that's that's a huge undertaking, and as I said, uh, it's a little bit like the weather. Everybody talks about it, and... uh, and everybody in this case, everybody tries to do something about it. <laughs> That's exactly right. No. And also, one thing that I've been pointing out over the last two years is uh, back to that foggy relationship. We really, I would like to see us as a state get more clarity and more accountability around education. One reason I ran for this office 
is because when someone didn't like something in education, they would go to their school board or they'd go to their general assembly representative or they'd go to the state board. And guess what? If it's something bad, everybody could point the finger at somebody else, yes. yeah. right? And if it's something good, everybody could take credit. Yeah. But if it's something bad in education, <laughs> everybody can point the finger somewhere else and say, well, I don't have control of that. That's them. Uh, one thing I'm looking at is how do we bring more accountability? And that is why I've really put myself out there with some with some bold change initiatives and put my name with it because I, I want people to know this is, this is the vision that I'm bringing and this is the change I want, uh, but also hold me accountable for it as well. Well, we mentioned 115, or as you said, 116 uh, local school districts. Each one of those has a board of education, a yes, county board yes, of education, yes. and so forth, with a chairman, and uh, that. Uh, so there's a lot of management going on, and uh, as you said, the uh, uh, the systems, uh, of course, range in size dramatically, and that's another problem because you've got mm-hmm. some very large school districts. And then you've got some that are very, very small. Yeah, our smallest, our newest is our smallest. It's only one school, one school for our school district. That's the innovative school district. Yeah. It's a new, it's a new model. And our largest is Wake County, has a hundred and sixty thousand students. And of course, we keep adding responsibility to this area because for a long time it was literally, a, it wasn't K through twelve. It was one through twelve. Mm-hmm. And now we've added so many early school programs that that adds to the burden not only of the local. Uh, county, uh, the county boards or the district boards, uh, and uh, but it also adds a lot of responsibility to you. So you know we've uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the early school programs because this is something that's relatively new. I guess Governor Hunt was the first to mm-hmm. begin to be, uh, begin to be concerned about that. How is that working out? Are we seeing tenant, uh, great results from the uh, the uh, early childhood programs, and are they beginning to show uh, the the kind of results that we wanted? Absolutely. The, the high-quality early childhood programs are absolutely showing the results we want. I, I like to put it this way for people. We designed our education system over 100 years ago. It was the best it was the best system we could design at the time with the knowledge we had about education at the time. Uh, but if we were able to hit complete reset and restart today to design an education system, we know that we would start school uh, much earlier in the life of a child. Because whereas 100 years ago, many people might have just thought children at that age were just kind of sitting and looking and not really soaking in knowledge, we now know that children's brains at that age are just absolute sponges. And what happens in those early years has so much of an impact on what happens later on. And one of our top priorities is making sure every student can read at grade level before they go to the fourth grade. That is a that is a line in the sand where if we don't have them reading on grade level by the fourth grade, they're always going to be struggling to catch up after the fourth grade. So the earlier we can start, the better. One of the uh, guests we had on this program years ago, and I wish I could give credit to the right person, but I cannot remember who said it. But one of the things... He was involved in public education. May have well been one of your predecessors. I, I just don't remember who said it. But it's so true. He said, you know, there's one thing about the first day that a child goes to school. He said, they're all excited about it. And he yes. said, then we begin to lose them one at That's a time. That's right. That's right. He said, the first day of school, and then we start losing them mm-hmm. and because we can't quite fill all the, the roles that the student is looking for. 
And uh, so that's that's a challenge. How, how it, do we it, keep more and more of the kids engaged and want to stay involved? I, I love that you had that question because I am extremely optimistic about the future of education. Uh, we are now at a point in our society that we have never been in the history of all of of society with what technology has been doing for us. Now, look, technology has its negatives. We need to we need to address some of the negatives, but we also need to embrace the positives. We personalize everything now with technology. We personalize our news. We personalize our entertainment. You can even personalize your food orders before you even walk into a, a, a restaurant chain and pick it up and pay for it without even talking to anybody. We need to personalize education. And using this technology, uh, the right appropriate amount, not too much screen time, and of course not replacing teachers, it's a tool for teachers, uh, we are going to address that exact problem that you just highlighted, engaging students in the material throughout the entire school year, having them excited throughout the entire school year. Because imagine a piece of content where a student – uh, that day would practice their reading, but they can decide, do I want to read about an astronaut? Do I want to read about a dancer? And they would be able to choose what they want to read about. So they're engaged in the lesson, but they're getting the same exact uh, practice that the student next to them who might be reading something different will be will be reading. And then all that information that is gathered on that student is immediately given to the teacher. So the teacher's empowered with all that information and then can spend one-on-one time with each student uh, on what their strengths and challenges are. So that's very exciting. Well, there's two things that are kind of interesting to me about uh, watching students. One is uh, that uh, process we talked about where the students lose interest. The other thing that's interesting, and I know you're a former teacher yourself and you've been involved in education, and this must be so what is so rewarding, and that's when a student gets re-engaged, when something turns them on, and uh, all of a sudden the refrigerator door opens, the little light comes on, and all of a sudden there's a transformation. I've seen that. I, I One of my best moments teaching is I saw that moment, the, the, the true moment where it, it almost like there was a light bulb that yep. went off over, over one of my students' uh, head. I, I actually remember it quite well because I taught – uh, ninth graders at West Charlotte High School, very, very difficult place to be a student, uh, students coming from systemic poverty. And when I taught um, about a decade ago, every education leader was telling every student, you've got to go to college. you got to go to college. If you want to yep. be a success, yep. you got to go to college. Well, here, here I come, and I'm in my classroom talking to my ninth graders, and I said, hey, you know what? You, it's not that you have to go to college. It's that you have to work hard, graduate high school, and know what your next steps are going to be. Yeah. And I gave examples of you could go be a welder, and in just a few years after high school, you could be making sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. It 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 doesn't mean it's not hard work. You have to work hard, but this is a path that everyone can take, and you can be a success. And that is the exact moment I I still remember uh, the 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 light bulb going off over the head of that student, saying, "Hey, you know what?" Yeah. That that can be me, and and that did happen for that student. It's very it's very very satisfying. Well, you know, I, I can remember in my little high school of growing up, and you saw uh, a student uh, light bulb come on, and all of a sudden there was a remarkable change, and uh, and it's life changing, and it uh, is career changing. Well, our guest is Mark Johnson. He's the superintendent of public instruction of the state of North Carolina. We'll be back with more as we talk about education here on Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll do that right after these messages. 
Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show, but there's one problem that's just got me stumped. Childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses, you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right. Sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Mark Johnson. He's the North Carolina Superintendent of Public Instructions, and he uh, came to that role sort of interesting because you, you're you not a native North Carolinian. How did you get to North Carolina? How did you get interested in public education? And how did you get interested in running for this office? Now, that's, that's, a, lo- that's a bunch of questions. <laughs> how much time do you have? Let's, well, we've got plenty. We'll, we'll get right into it. Uh, yes, I grew up in South Louisiana originally. That is where my family originates from. My grandfather grew up dirt poor. My grandfather did not graduate from high school. He did not have the opportunity to. He served in the armed forces, and after his service to our nation, he decided he was going to provide a better opportunity for his children and their children than he himself had. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps by selling life insurance door-to-door across the entire Southeast. So I was taught from a very early age that education and the work you put in education really determines what kind of work you do for the next 40 or 50 years of your life and the, and the options and opportunities you have. But I was also taught, because of where my family came from, even in this day and age, not everyone has that opportunity. So I worked very hard in school. I went to college in Atlanta, Georgia. I wanted to stay in the Southeast, uh, marry, uh, met and married a uh, fantastic, wonderful person who uh, is now my wife and the mother of our child. Uh, she is originally from Winston-Salem. So I came to visit North Carolina uh, while I was dating her and absolutely fell in love with this state. It is an amazing state. Uh, We decided we did not want to stay in Atlanta. It was too big. We moved to Charlotte where she worked for Wachovia and I taught high school. Uh, I really wanted to uh, go into one of the hardest, most challenging circumstances where I could have the most impact. So I taught at West Charlotte High School. Uh, It was an amazing experience. Uh, it was a way for me to give back to my country that has given me so much, uh, and I wanted to make sure that the lessons I learned from that time, if I ever had the chance to an- impact the policies, that I would take it. So that is what led to me running for school board in Winston-Salem, and after being on the school board in Winston-Salem and seeing that there was even more that needed to be done 
running for this office statewide and uh, having the privilege and honor of serving as the state superintendent. Well, there's one thing that can be said, and I think it is the envy of the entire uh, nation. North Carolina, uh, going back to its roots, was a poor state. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we did not have plantation owners and, and all that sort of thing. We had a lot of uh, just regular farmers and people who work in textile plants and so forth. And one of the things that's always been interesting to me is a common denominator again about most parents, in North Carolina especially, they want their children to do better than they did. That's right. That's, and I think that may be common in a lot of states, but it's particularly in North Carolina. And early on, we've always put high priority on education. Every school bond issue has. passes, mm-hmm. and uh, it's still there. And uh, that's that, that has led to uh, having not only a great university system, a great community college system, but also in public education. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're probably the envy of the country. Uh, we we are we are the envy of many. We have uh, faced struggles that many around the nation have faced. But you are right. We are we are a great place to learn. We are a great place to teach. Uh, I actually have put out the challenge that we should be able to be called the best place to learn and the best place to teach because we've, as you just said, we've already got all the ingredients to get us there. We we have a strong K twelve system. Uh, we have the most important ingredient, which are fantastic educators. We have very committed people who care about their students. Uh, we have committed parents. We actually uh, have an amazing community college system. We do have a community college system that is the envy of the nation. We have uh, so many campuses where students can, very close to home, get the, the, the training and education they need to be successful in whatever their path is. We also have a strong military presence, so there's the option for military service, and a very strong uh, university system. So we are well on our way to being able to call ourselves the best place to learn and the best place to teach. Uh, but of course, we know that we still have work to do. And, and that is uh, constantly a topic that people will hear across the state. But we are doing that work and we are on track to, be, to get there. We were talking in the first segment about uh, the refrigerator door opening and the little light coming on. Uh, is there a pivotal year that you look at particularly – uh, you know, we mentioned early childhood programs are important. Then we say the first grade is important. Then we say, where are the, where are the ones that really are the pivotal years that, where we really need to put special emphasis? Or is there one? You know, I wouldn't say there's one that I would call out as the, the most special. I can tell you as the father of a six-year-old, I really am truly passionate about that early childhood time. Uh, we, we definitely are looking at doing more and we need to do more because the, the, not only the hard skills such as learning letters and learning numbers that you could get that would give you a head start uh, before you enter school, but the soft skills as well, uh, making sure students uh, are excited to go to school, like you talked about that first day, making sure they understand why they're going to school. That starts very, very early, and if you ingrain those early on, you'll, you'll have less issues when you get to middle school and high school. The reason I don't want to pick one as, as the magic number is because I'm also very passionate about middle school and high school, about letting students know all the pathways they can have to success. We need to, and we've started this, we've started letting students know as early as middle school. So go to elementary school, get your, your basic fundamentals, then in middle school, 
you don't have to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life, but we want you to know the options. We want you to know that, yes, if you want to go get a four-year degree, we're going to make sure you're ready. We're going to make sure you find a way to make it affordable, and you can make that happen. But we also want you to know that you can go to, you can go to high school and get a high school diploma, and then after 10 weeks of a training program, you can be an electric line worker. And electric line workers, their starting salary right now is $50,000 a year. And after a few years on the job and working overtime, you can be making six figures. At the same time, in North Carolina, we have a shortage of electric line workers. That is an industry where they need the talent. So we are working hard to connect students as early as middle school to start thinking about, hey, what, what, what could I be? What do I want to be when I grow up? And what does that look like when I need to pay bills or maybe I want to own my own car, or my own house, I want to go on vacation once a year? Where, what's the path I should take? Should I go this route uh, where it's not college and I have no college debt and I'll make this much? Or do I want to go to college and have that experience and take the debt out, but knowing what I'm going to have to uh, make in order to pay off that debt? I'm going to change the subject on you now and talk about testing because that's one of the things we read lots and lots about. Where do we stand on testing? And of course, uh, what are we? How are we changing as we learn more and more about uh, testing? Well, we're testing too much, and that's actually one of uh, the the main reasons I ran for this office. And one of the main things I campaigned on was we are testing too much. And it comes. Let me just say this: it came from a good place. Testing has always been in schools. It always will be in schools. It's just about how much we have. It came from a good place to make sure we could measure where students are and how our schools were doing for students. Uh, the problem is we put all these tests at the end of the school year uh, to see how schools are doing. And as a result, we had a lot of tests that started coming up throughout the school year in order to see how students were going to do on the test at the end of the school year. <laughs> so everyone has their tests. The federal government has their tests. The state government has their tests. Local districts have their tests. Uh, we're doing uh, a few things to make sure we address this issue. First off, and this has happened this year, I have done everything in my power as state superintendent to scale back the stress level around testing. We have taken, so, so for the state tests that are required by federal law, we have reduced the number of questions, we've reduced the amount of time, uh, we're reducing uh, other things that might make it a stressful environment. We're, we're taking that away. We are also working now with local districts to really make an effort to streamline and coordinate the local tests that are given as well so that we don't have overwhelming amount of tests throughout the school year. But ultimately, ultimately, where we need to go for education is we need to build testing into low-stress, frequent uh, checks on student progress throughout the learning process. Let's not shut everything down for a test. And I mentioned earlier we talked about technology. Technology is actually going to help us do that because I said there are programs where students can just spend a little bit of time on technology, not too much screen time, but as they're learning, the technology is, is gathering the information on what are they getting right, what's easy for them, what are they getting wrong, what's hard for them. It's gathering that information while they're engaged in a lesson, and then that information is immediately available for a teacher and also for a policymaker who wants to look at, hey, how are our schools doing and what changes do we need to make? That is ultimately what's going to change testing. It's called personalized learning. It is, it is the idea that we're all unique individuals. We shouldn't have these tests that are 
that are designed based on what the average student should know because we know there is no such thing as an average student. It's time to move beyond that way of thinking and it's personalized learning. It's very exciting for North Carolina. We already have a number of schools in North Carolina that are full 100% ahead on personalized learning and we're going to be spreading that in the upcoming years for all schools in North Carolina. It's always amazed me about uh, testing because you always come out with a figure that's called average. Well, all that means is it's the middle, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that that's an average student. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, There is. And and that's, again, I go back to we designed our education system 100 years ago, and we used the best system we had at the time. But it's time for us to completely update and transform our system using this technology as a powerful tool for teachers and students. I came up in a small town. Of course, it was a different time. But one of the things that all the teachers did the first week of school is they visited the parents in their home. And unfortunately, that's that's something that was lost because that really gave those teachers a great insight into what they were they were doing. And of course, that would be almost impossible to do in this day and age. But what a what an advantage for the teachers to meet with each parent mm-hmm. and uh, know. And uh, you, st- you still have some parents that are very active in schools, but this was every parent, yeah. every parent. Yeah. And uh, the teachers were able to do it in one month, and they had 30 students, and they'd take one day and go to see a parent. Wow. And uh, I, I don't know when that practice ended. I guess probably around 1960 or so. <laughs> well, and I will give a shout-out. There are still teachers that put in that extra work. We have just asked so much of teachers. We put so many administrative burdens on them. Uh, that it's getting harder and harder for them to do that, which is why I want to, again, use technology to help connect that classroom to the parents. Uh, We're already seeing that. Uh, You could actually have student assignments put up on technology as it's happening, and parents are sent that to check on it as it's happening. And that's that's going on right now in our schools. Our guest is Mark Mark Johnson. He's the superintendent of public instruction. He's in his first term at that elected position, and we'll be back with more with Mark right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. I'm not staying home tonight. I'm at school all day. If they want me to do the work, give it to me while I'm at school. This guy has me coming to work 10 hours a day. So what if I didn't finish school? That doesn't mean he can work me like a dog. Hey man, I need a few bucks. My car's busted and I need some cash. Hello? Hello? Every decision you make has a benefit or a consequence. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the United States Air Force. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Mark Johnson, the superintendent of public instruction of the state of North Carolina here on Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, He 
supervises and directs uh, 116 different local school districts, some 2,500-plus schools, and 148 charter schools, which is kind of interesting because that's also in the news. A lot of people do not, uh, including uh, present company, do not understand. I'm not sure about you, but this present company <laughs> on this side of the microphone uh, don't understand exactly what charter schools are and what the the, the uh, pros and cons are. So let's talk a little bit about charter schools. Where does that fit into the system, and, and what do you see for the future of charter schools? Charter schools are public schools. They are they are funded with public dollars. They give uh, more flexibility to the curriculum, to some of the requirements, uh, but with that flexibility comes accountability. And that is very important for people to understand. Uh, my view on charter schools, I am a supporter because I do want that flexibility to be able to encourage innovation. I want to be able to encourage trying different things as opposed to what the state might mandate for a school and and hopefully getting uh, better results. But I always emphasize the accountability. Uh, the State Board of Education actually has the ability to close charter schools, and the State Board of Education does close charter schools when they are not performing and living up to uh, the the demands of making sure every student has that opportunity. And the reason that's important is because you know we say this is school choice. You you allow parents and students to find a school that 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 fits their needs. Uh, we also don't want it to be a false choice. We don't want students and parents thinking just because it's a charter school that means it's better. That's not always the case. So we need to make sure we hold them accountable and close them when they are not uh, performing well. Of course, another item that is constantly in the news is the safety of schools and discipline in the schools. It, uh, you know, when I came through the school systems, they were a safe place. It's not necessarily always the case these days, and it's very difficult. Uh, in managing that process of being sure the schools are safe That's and, right. uh, and also discipline. Where do we stand on that? Are we making progress? We, we absolutely are. And this is, this is one of those things where uh, it is, again, an honor and a privilege to serve the state of North Carolina as the statewide elected representative uh, with the task of setting the vision for schools. I came in the office with, a, with, a, uh, with one, you know, a certain set of ideas of where I wanted to go, and this is one of those things where then we had some tragedies elsewhere in the nation and we had to drop everything and say, we, we've all got to reassess what's going on in our schools. Uh, this is absolutely uh, not acceptable for our children to be in fear of going to school, for our, for our teachers to be at risk when they're at school. We as a society have to make the changes. So we are addressing that from uh, multiple, multiple uh, venues. One we know that mental health is a huge concern. Uh, we have to make sure that one student's challenges don't become a school tragedy. So last summer, in the short session of the General Assembly, we were able to secure millions of dollars in order to get more mental health professionals and support to schools across North Carolina. And we gave that out through grants, actually, because we were looking for not just 
handing out money for more of the same. We needed to know what, what are the innovations that are going to help us truly address this. We've gotten some great innovations. Uh, I am most excited about uh, some of the teams that have started with this this funding that actually can serve multiple, multiple schools and go in and uh, really dig in and, and address uh, if there is a student that has issues. So they will get that support they need. Uh, we've also uh, been giving out funding to harden our schools. That is a reality. We want to make sure that we do things that would deter, heaven forbid, anything like this from happening. Uh, a great example is in North Carolina, decades ago, a lot of schools were built uh, with multiple buildings. So you have a very nice outside area, but that makes it very easy for anyone just to walk up into a school campus. So we got funding out so that schools could build uh, you know, not fences to make schools look like prisons, but deterrence to make sure people entered the school through the visitor vestibule. And we also got more school resource officers out to our schools. Uh, those are trained law enforcement officers. They are uh, there to protect and serve in case the worst happens, uh, but also they build community relationships with students, with teachers uh, while they're on the job. We're very excited about all that. Definitely still a top priority. We will see more coming this summer to make sure that we are advancing school safety throughout North Carolina. Another topic that uh, received a lot of attention, you don't hear quite as much about it today, and I'm hoping it's because there's some progress being made, and that's the matter of bullying. Mm. Uh, that was uh, and that went on when uh, that's one of the things that went on when I was in school yes. in the dark ages. That's right. Uh, because bullying has always been there, but it is a dangerous process. It is. It is dangerous, and it has actually become part of school safety efforts. Yeah. Uh, we need to make sure that we address bullying when it happens and where it happens. And one thing I tell teachers and parents is this is a school safety issue now. One, we need to do it because no child should be bullied. That it, is, it, is, uh, it is aggressive and can truly harm uh, a student and, and their progress. And every student should have the right to go to a safe place where they can have the opportunity to work hard and succeed. But also, it's school safety now, too. And what I tell parents and teachers is we need to have more conversations with students because students today live in a different world where they do have social media and there is cyberbullying. And cyberbullying can occur where teachers and parents don't even know it's, it's, it's happening, uh, but other students need to speak up as well. They need to speak up so that we can, we can take steps to address that. And you'll be seeing from us a launch of initiatives to remind students uh, that cyberbullying has real consequences. Uh, and so we'll be rolling that out next school year because we need students to partner with us to stamp this out as well. Uh, graduation rates and dropouts were also a big uh, item in the news uh, four, five, six years ago. You don't hear quite as much about that. Is that situation getting better? Are we having better graduation rates and fewer dropouts? Uh, we are. Our graduation rate has continually been increasing, which is good. Uh, it's it's plateaued a little bit right now. One reason you don't hear a lot about is uh, I have not been someone who's gone out and beaten our chest over graduation rates because while they have been getting better, we need to have the conversation of, does that mean our students are taking their next steps and succeeding? That's my concern that while graduation rates might have been going up, and we should celebrate that, let's also have the conversation of, 
does that mean all these students who are graduating are going on to a fulfilling career? That's been my focus. My, my real focus is making sure they know their next steps, uh, and, and that is just as important as a graduation rate. Reintroducing our guest, Mark Johnson, who's the North Carolina Superintendent of Public Instruction here on Carolina Newsmakers, and we've talked about all sorts of things. Let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned technology and distant learning and so forth. We have this uh, challenge of population distribution in North Carolina where you have some very small counties that have uh, difficulty uh, getting uh, teachers in certain fields, uh, and of course the whole uh, area of, of uh, trying to have the, a complete curriculum in a small school system is very difficult. Where does distant learning fit into this, and what have we learned about it? Because at one time, everybody thought it was going to be this answer to everything. It's turned out that that's, it's like everything else. It has some pluses and minuses. It has it has pluses and minuses, and I, I think we can all start with the premise that we wish we could have every course offered in every single school throughout the state, no matter where in the state they, you are, small county, big county, rural, urban. Uh, what is so exciting right now, again, about technology is North Carolina is the first state and currently still the only state to have every single classroom connected to high-speed wireless internet. We are the... And that's something we need to be very proud of. We need to be extremely proud of this uh, because it doesn't matter if you're in the, the, the most rural part of you know mountainous North Carolina or the most rural part of eastern North Carolina, your classroom has an open... Uh, connection to the entire world and we are using that in our schools i've been to i've been to rural counties where uh they they are using that distance learning uh to have students be able to take classes uh, that they normally wouldn't have the opportunity to in north carolina uh, under actually governor purdue we started uh, the North Carolina Virtual Public School, which does just that. I mean, we we offer three levels of Japanese to any high school student in the state that wants to take Japanese as a language course. Uh, we're one of the few states to actually do that. So no matter where you are in North Carolina, you have the access to these amazing high-quality courses. Recruiting teachers uh, is uh, always a challenge because uh, – um, well, it's just a challenge. So mm -hmm. how, how are we facing that, and how are we getting teachers in the areas that it's even more difficult to find teachers? Uh, recruiting, it's a challenge for the, the entire nation right now, and it's, uh, it's one reason because, yes, it's always been a challenge. Two, it's because the economy is doing so well. Yep. And we have very qualified candidates who could go into teaching who are being pulled by other parts of the free market and saying, hey, come do this. Now, what's, what's also hurting is, you know, the, the teaching profession has been beat up uh, so much over the past few years. Uh, while that may come from a good place with people trying to advocate for change, it's also made people reflect and, and look at their students and say, you know, I don't want you to grow up to be a teacher. So we need to do two things. One, we need to keep aggressively raising teacher salary because that is a very important part of this conversation. Uh, and two, we need to remind people that teaching is a fulfilling and fruitful career. The average teacher salary in North Carolina right now, thanks to raises over the past couple years, is $54,000 per year. So that is actually more than the median household income in North Carolina. And the median teacher salary in North Carolina is actually more than the median salary of someone in North Carolina who their highest 
degree of education is a bachelor's degree. These are these are facts we've got to get out there. We have to let people know salary is becoming more and more competitive, but it's also such a fulfilling career. Uh, we need we need to reach out to middle schoolers and high schoolers and say this is something you need to consider. But we also need to start sending, and we're going to do this uh, with the launch of Teach NC, a, a statewide teacher recruitment campaign, sending teachers to college career fairs. Because we haven't had teachers speaking at college career fairs. If you have someone who has majored in English or creative writing and they don't know what their next steps are, we want them to consider teaching. We need to we need to tell them how great it is and that you can teach in the mountains, you can teach at the coast, you can teach in a big city, or you can even teach in your hometown. If you grow up in small town North Carolina and that's where you want to work, there's a job for you teaching there. So a lot of work to be done, but we're on the right track. Mark Johnson is our guest. He's the superintendent of public instructions, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, (laughs) tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Mark Johnson is our guest. He's the North Carolina Superintendent of Public Instruction. We've had a great program so far, so if you are joining us late and want to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. Uh, and uh, Or if you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries only the 30-minute version of this program, the two segments that you missed are also isolated, and you can hear those. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Mark Johnson is our guest. He's the public instruction superintendent, or I guess I've got that reversed. He's the North Carolina superintendent of public instruction. I think he would. I, I, I'll take either. I, take I enjoy either one. it. I, I usually just tell people, go with state superintendent. You can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've sort of left this last segment to to talk about funding because all of these things we've talked about require funding. And we talked about teacher pay. We've talked about innovations in education. We've talked about new programs. We've talked about school safety. All this takes money. General Assembly is in session. And, uh, of course, one of the big things that they wrestle with every year is how to fund all the school systems. Mm-hmm. So where do we stand? Uh, right now, people should know that when you add up all the state investment, all the local investment, and all the federal investment, uh, we devote about $16 billion a year to our students and teachers. 
So we are increasing funding every year, and uh, it's the biggest part of our state budget. We are we spend the most money of our state budget on education. That's because it is the most important part of our state budget. It truly is not just uh, because of the moral obligation that we owe every student the opportunity to work hard and succeed. We have to give them the opportunity. It's also the economic driver for North Carolina. Uh, it is if, if the moral obligation doesn't uh, doesn't motivate people, it is the economy because we right now are doing very well in attracting businesses. Uh, but we have more open jobs than we have people that can take those jobs. And one example is in uh, computer technology. Uh, we have 20,000 jobs open right now, representing almost $2 billion in salary potential that are just open. And we're not, we're not filling those. And they don't all require a four-year degree. It could be a high school credential. It could be community college. We've got to make the investments that help students connect with that. Uh, so that I always start with that premise because when the General Assembly is looking at this, they are raising the amount that's going out to, to support education. They want to make sure that we're not just spending more money on more of the same. We're innovating and investing in what works. And that is something I have brought to this office, uh, even when we talked about earlier school safety. We're giving, those, we're giving out school safety grants to increase the effectiveness of school safety efforts, and we want to measure them and make sure they, they work. When we find the things that work, we put, put that money behind it so we get the most effective use of our taxpayer dollars and the results we need for our students. So one example is we're working on the state budget right now as you and I are recording this, and I'm having the conversation with lawmakers about my request for a 40% increase in classroom supply money. Uh, because we do know that teachers are having to reach into their own pockets to buy classroom supplies. Uh, this has been going on for a few years. We're, we're doing better with revenue coming into the state. Let's go on and make that investment, for example, so that we don't have teachers reaching into their own pockets for classroom supplies. Uh, one place that we've done amazingly well on is teacher salary. The raises over the past few years, uh, when I entered office, to, to let you know how quickly this has happened. When I entered office in 2017, we were ranked 41st in the nation for teacher pay. Now, as I sit here and talk to you, we are up to 29th. We are second in the South for teacher pay. And my goal is to get us to first in the South uh, so that we are, are, are the top of the South for, for educator compensation and the top for business. Uh, that's a very exciting and achievable goal. So these all take investments, uh, but you will see those coming from the General Assembly uh, more and more, especially this summer as we hammer out the budget for the next two years. Another thing that has uh, sort of gotten into the news and, and into the budget-making process has been the role of the principal. Because for years we talked about teacher pay, but the principle of each school is so important. And all of a sudden, uh, that's sort of become in vogue to talk about increasing the salaries of the principals. A absolutely. And I have, I have made a budget request uh, that, if fulfilled by the General Assembly, would make us number one in the South for principal compensation. And that would be a significant jump in just the matter of uh, one budget year because the entire setting, the entire culture of a school – really starts with the principal. And I've seen it visiting schools across mm. this entire state. The results come with the leadership at the top being the starting point, and teachers really, really appreciate a strong leader in their school. I was getting ready to say, I've talked to a number of teachers, and they all want to work for a principal that's right. that is a great leader. That's right. And so that's, that's something that is uh, 
uh, has gotten a great attention and is probably going to have a great effect. So as you look at the General Assembly this year, what are the other changes that you're trying to get uh, as far as funding process or just changes? Biggest changes we're working for, again, we want to be we want to stay aggressive on teacher salary and compensation. Uh, we've done really well over the past few years, but we don't want to stop now because we want to not to show our appreciation. Yeah. Don't want it to be a roller coaster. That, that's exactly yeah. right. We want to keep pushing ahead because it is achievable for us to be the top in the South. Mm. Uh, also, school safety. Again, school safety is one of my top mm. priorities. Uh, we, we have, we're pushing for more money to give out through those grants uh, to make sure that we can say that every school in North Carolina is a safe environment for every student. I mean, that's something we would hopefully already be able to say, but that is something we must be able to say for every student. And then you will uh, see me pushing the other big priority is for some of these transformations that we need to make for our education system. Using technology more uh, in a in a smart way, in an appropriate way, not too much screen time, not replacing a teacher, but changing the classroom. Using this technology that we use now to make shopping easier, to make uh, getting information easier, using that to really empower teachers and students. Uh, I, I love to I love to make this one note. Uh, we have all the information that has ever been discovered through science or ever been recorded in human history is now all in the palm of our hand. It's in our little phones or our tablets, and we just have to look it up. So we don't need to have a school system that, you know, asks students just what are the facts and just, you know, you know spit the facts out at us. They, they need to learn how now to look up the facts, know what the real facts are, but then also be able to collaborate and think creatively and work with one another. Uh, that is where our, our education system's going, and it's a very exciting time for education. I've got one final question, and you've got 30 seconds. Uh, so what is your absolute top priority for the next year? What, what's the first thing that at the end of the next year you say, I'm glad we accomplished this? Uh, I, I think it's going to be continually aggressive teacher pay raises to make sure teachers know they are appreciated and to make sure that we make it competitive so we, again, pull people into the teaching profession as opposed to losing them to the economy, which is doing very well, uh, but we want teachers to know it is fulfilling and fruitful and we appreciate them so much. Mark, thank you so much for spending time with us. Mark Johnson, the Superintendent of Public Instruction of the State of North Carolina in his first term been a great program and i hope that uh, people will take the opportunity if they join this late to go to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the parts of the broadcast they might have missed our program has been produced by jason kong and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations all across north carolina as we continue our series of carolina newsmakers again that uh, address if you'd like to hear the broadcast again is carolinanewsmakers.com Again, uh, until next week, same time, on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers.